I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, welcome guys to this week's episode of Heavy Metal Tones with me, your podcast host, Tony Evans. Um, this week's dive into uh, the world of music is going to be my, one of my favourite albums of all time. And it's been on my playlist and in my head for 37 plus years. It was released in 1984 on April the 12th. It is, of course, as you would know by the title, Marillion's second album, Fugazi. Now, for the purposes of this review and for this chat, I'm going to be talking about the 2021 remix um, that was done by Avril McIntosh and Andy Bradfield, uh, and it is a superb remix. It is a, it's following on their glorious heights that they did with uh, Script for Jester's Tear, which if you listen to the shows uh, way back, you'll find an episode on that one. Go back and dive in and have a listen. Uh, that's... Um, uh, a cracker of an album, but this is the second and eponymous second album, the troublesome second album. Uh, I'm I'm reviewing. Well, all I'm listening to is I'm listening to the beautiful big box set. I have it on the box set on CD. I uh, have it on cassette and on the nice um, big um, cardboard box set with the live albums on vinyl. Now, I've also got the original prints as well, and my original one that I got back when I was a teenager. So I would have got mine in about. 1988, about four years after its release. Um, anyway, it is uh, a completely bonkers album. Uh, I will say that outright and out front, up front. It is the most Marillion album that is ever ever could be if you're going to put the Marillion label on it for me. It has all the crazy nuances and um, uh, wonderful musicianship that you would expect from a uh, prog band, or uh, I suppose they, were, as I said before, they're probably more a neo-progressive rock band, uh, which means it was sort of because it was eighty, the early eighties, punk and synth music was massive, and so um, and, and and so pop and pop. So to be doing something that was sort of akin to what your dad was listening to is was quite crazy. But at the same time, you have to give them all the kudos in the world because. Um, it's very simple for you to just follow a trend, but they want to play what they want to play. Anyway, that's another podcast, right? So, 
this is the reissue as i said um but the first part is about the craziness of the search for a drummer so that's why i've called the episode um uh, fugazi and the and the, uh, the spinal tapped drummer's curse um because it is it's absolutely bonkers guys so before we get into um the wonderfulness of the of the actual album itself which we'll do in after the break um what we're going to do leading up to the break we're going to talk about the three drummers now so the end uh, towards the end of the recording towards the end of, of the script era um, they had to they decided well they didn't have to but they decided that they would sack Mick Pointer the founding member of the band mind you um, it's a real kiss moment isn't it that um, uh, and Fish being the closest friend to Mick had to dish out that information that that news now that's also mirrored in a lot of the lyrics in the album uh, going forward which we'll talk about later on but uh, then comes this crazy weird tale before they get to Ian Mosley now Ian Mosley is the is the drummer that joined to record Fugazi and has stayed with them ever since now so picture the you got to picture the thing sorry this is very note heavy this episode so if I'm flicking through things and I talk away from the mic because I'm trying to get to my notes um, and I've got only a restrictive plate a restrictive spot to record in Mm. There's some tea there. So, uh, they, w- as soon as the, because script had been a, a, a huge success for what it was, it was a huge success. And the band had a huge cult following, it was pl- selling out the marquee and Hammersavodian and these big sort of icons of the rock world in the UK. Um, they needed to get, a, and they had a US tour, a US tour pit, a, um, planned, they needed to get in a drummer. So as soon as the information went out that there was a drummer needed, a lot of people put their hands up. Now we there's, this one I found out. Um, a lot of this information, by also comes from the show note, the notes from the reissue of the album. Um, it's also in a their biography, which is quite hard to get hold of of the first part of the Millions history called. Um, it's just called Mark Square Heroes. It's quite a difficult one. I had it on paperback. Um, Left it in the UK, would you believe? I don't have any more, and it actually is quite really hard to get hold of. It's a really fantastic read, um, written by um, by Mick Wall, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so crazy drummers, people like Woody Woodmanson. I can't even say it. Woody Woodmansey. He was uh, the drummer for Ziggy, uh, Ziggy and the Stardust, so Bowie's band for or Bowie, whichever you want to look at it. Um, Ziggy's era. Um, but the one that came to the fore um, was Andy Ward. Now, Andy Ward, anyone out there who's as big a prog nut as me, um, and I'm looking at you, John, and you, Mark, I know I'm looking at, you all know who Andy Ward is, because Andy Ward was the original drummer for Camel. Now, Camel were, if you don't know who Camel were, um, or are, they are a prog band, one of the sort of major movers of that genre a lot of acoustic sorry a lot of instrumental pieces um lots of instrumental albums uh snow goose and so on um are just credible pieces of 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 musicianship and of course the boys in the band being prognuts that sounds like interesting 
thing that prognuts is something you could probably sell as a, as a nice snack for um, long-haired art students. Um, anyway, <laughs> hey, would you like some prognuts with your beer um, and your 25-minute guitar solo? Yes, I would. Um, so prognut. So they they would be in awe of Andy. This Andy comes in. He's a much older, of course, um, been around the, the 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 scene a fair while. Comes to the band with some incredible musicianship. Like he's you know he reignites um, uh, the uh, the way that um, the band play. All of a sudden they've gone from and look. I feel sad saying this because I really love Mickey Pointer's um, drumming. I don't see an issue with it. Of course, I'm not in the band. I don't know the limitations and what they think they were going to go forward. I mean, listening, obviously, with hindsight, yes, Ian Mosley is a far better drummer. But that, again, is also subjective, isn't it? Because what's better, what isn't, right? What's right for the moment. Anyway, um, they started playing sets because they've got to get ready for to tour uh, America. Um, and they're also, you know, in the process of re of, of writing and um, producing or getting ready for the second album, the eponymous album that I'm just talking about now. And so they had to really get a wriggle on. Okay, now Andy comes along. They all say yes, all awestruck. Um, he comes in. He re-records um, Market Square Heroes and um, Free Boats Down from the Candy. Uh, you know, and he gives a, you know, I mean, a technicality that, that I said Mickey didn't have. Although I really highly, highly recommend if you want to do it, if you want to go that route and, and want to come with me and, and enjoy some difference in music, if it's your thing, um, the Mick Pointer script album. I think it's just it's just called Mick Pointer's script. Mick Pointer script for just a tears and all that. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's actually really good. It's, it, they play, he plays the entire album um, re-recorded and with different musicians and it's really not that bad it's actually pretty good I mean you can't replace fish but it's very difficult to do that isn't it um, so they get him in um, now he was a really interesting character the fact that he had these really bad injuries he had a like severely damaged wrists and so like so he could, they could play and record and practice they would tape the drumsticks to his to his hands like with gaffer tape um which is you know that's a real rock and roll you know for me when people say oh prog isn't rock and roll well bloody is if you're you know in so much pain you can't play but you're sticking taping the sticks to your hands right It didn't impinge, Steve, as Steve Hackett says, oh, sorry, Steve Hackett, huh, wrong person. Stephen Robbery says it doesn't impinge on his playing. Anyway, the way, the, the band went um, to Wales, to Llandidno, Llandidno, um, which is a bit of a hippie retreat. Apparently, quote says that the two ladies that met them were called Nutkins and Squirrel, and he says it says it all, really. And it was right down the road from... Um, uh, a big part, a, a big pub, a local pub, and a and the local drug dealers. So it was a bit like a, a candy shop for for everyone in the band, really. Um, but Fish and Andy were big drinking fa- uh, buddies, and this didn't help. Whereas Fish could really hold his alcohol um, and still perf- and still sort of be resembling human. I think Andy was struggling. Um, the 
sad thing is that he also had a drug addiction and alcohol addiction and it was really not seen um, until um, you know small things were happening like they were um, playing in New York City and there was a, there's a bit where there's no drumming in it in one of the pieces of music and Andy just got up off the drum kit and went off the side of the the stage to, to a chat to his brother and and Fish was looking over his shoulder thinking, is he ever going to come back? I mean, he just didn't, he just would wander off, you know. Um, I've heard stories about Nico McBrain doing that during uh, um, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner when it was really, really hot in the stage in the US and he'd go and jump in the swimming pool to cool down during the non-drummy bit and come back straight into it but have to have sort of towels put on the pedals because the pedals were slipped because he was wet. Um, that's that's different. He knew he was coming back but they didn't know what was happening with uh, with Andy. Um but it all, all came to a head when um, in New York um, they were there. Now, a few things happened when they were in New York, okay? So they that they were ready to play several shows. Um, during the tour in America, um, Andy's drinking was getting worse. Um, you know, he was checking in. There was a story where he apparently... Um, put some money to a cigarette machine, and all the, it spit out all these cigarettes. And instead of giving them back to the the hotel, uh, he just gave them all out to people in the in the, like people walking into the hotel, and it really upset them. And because he was drunk, he didn't know what he was doing. Um, it got it got come to a head where Andy um, was so gone and and just not there that the band had a meeting, said no, he's got to go. And so the then manager. Um, gave their roadie his credit card and said take Andy to the airport send him home now apparently the reason why Andy was so bad in America was that he was really homesick and he was missing his girlfriend now we've all been there haven't we but come on when you're like 38 years old whatever you are at the time it was a bit, bit silly really but it is what it is you know everyone has their own emotional crutches don't they so he then was then out of the band and the American tour was abandoned and they came back home uh you know and now most people would, would go oh that's oh, i'm done like that's what we could do what we're going to do i mean that was a big break right so no they went back to the studio and carried on like writing music and, and getting bits ready until they got their next drummer john Mart uh, mater from mr big they had uh, met him in america um and well, they thought, well, you know, we can um, bring him over to to we can audition him when 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 we're back over there. But they didn't want to bring him over and audition him and put him in the band without sort of you know it's a long way to come, isn't it? An expensive way just for audition for them not to like him. Um, but he flew over. Um, they auditioned him. They liked him. He joined the band. Right. So and as a as the luck be. As luck be, um, the American um, tour promoter was like, well, we need a support band for Rush. Um, can you come over and resurrect your tour again? And, you know, we, we can't say no, can you, with a band like Rush? You know, you're going to say, okay, bloody hell, I'm, I'm there, right? So they end up touring. Now, it got really, really messy. Um, really messy very quickly. Again, you know, and this isn't to do with the drummers, but this is just like the craziness of rock and roll so they were playing several nights at Radio City Music Hall in New York again um, and 
they um, the American roadies took a disliking to the band I would say because Fish is quite mouthy I would imagine anyway um, they wouldn't give him any rehearsal time they wouldn't give him any, um, any sound checks the the guitars would detune themselves um, when they were going to um, get the the back line checked all of a sudden the union reps the the the, the roadies were on their union allotted hour break and would disappear and not come back for more than for hours um, the audience were very very hostile they started off playing um, some of the long slower numbers like um, Chelsea Monday and so on and they got things thrown at them they were booed at um, they just the, let's be honest the audience just wanted rush we've all been in those situations right they just wanted rush I've been there I've had my hand up I've booed um, support bands when I was waiting for Iron Maiden I've done it I'm a bit proud of it but I've done it I was young um, so that but but rush were really great the band were fantastic according to the Meridian the band were really good people when they they bought they got the around the roadies and they got them back on their sides and 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 then they decided to play faster numbers some of the more faster numbers stuff that became um really popular like uh, lady nina and stuff uh, and that uh, and, and, and punch and judy that came along because they were like sort of um trying it out um and they it got them over the line. The audience really liked them. As for the drummer, as for as for John, unfortunately, um, they didn't really get on with him um, because he was a bit too West Coast, as they like to put it. So I think he was a bit too Boston and um, you know um, Toto and. And all that sort of thing. Um, so they they parted company. So he went their way. That's drummer number three, right? Drummer number three leaves the building, um, and they're back in the UK, and they're back to their rehearsal rooms, and they're still trying to get this album done. Um, you know, a lot of the music is written, but it isn't finalised. Oh, I just noticed I mean, this fantastic thing I just read. Um, I forgot to tell you about when they were in America. They got a lot of these comp tickets for the eight nights of at Radio City Musical, um, and of course they couldn't give them couldn't give them away. Um, and family and friends weren't there because they're all over in England, so they gave them to scouts to sell um, extra for uh, for cash at top dollar because it was rush, um, and they would use that money to fund their nightlife. Uh, that's very rock and roll now I mean you, you look at you, you turn your nose of it but if they're not going to be paid properly and they're being treated badly why wouldn't you right anyway as I said as I said um, the next drummer comes in and just before that also um, John signed his death warrant because they were sitting around drinking one night and Fish had gone up to the back up to the hotel but to his hotel room to waddle off and sleep off the alcohol and he turned around to the rest of the band and said that none of you would be anywhere without him and that was not the right thing to say to anyone um, particularly at the time when you know um, Fish was the big big image in the band the the face of the band and I think that the musicians I mean Steve and Pete and 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 uh, Mark were all feeling a little bit um, like in the shadows of the big man, but 
you know it made them money and it made them it made them famous so they can't really complain guys you have to apologize i'm going to apologize i can't read my bloody own handwriting so john martin was pushed out the band because he said that the band wasn't um wasn't um at all going to be doing it without fish it's the next drummer that was um a bit too west coast okay a little bit too west coast so while they were in germany they um doing a some a small german tour and some rehearsal stuff and some just getting some recording under their belts um they met jonathan mover now jonathan mover not a uh, a big name by any means uh in in respect of his uh, the bands he was in but he he had a big sound a big rock sound uh, and he could hit the skins pretty hard and he had a lot of swing to him um and they got him in they flew him from germany um to the uk and that's when they were like oh should we fly him there should we get him to you know um what should we do and he came over in you know he he obviously the band thought something of him um and they took him uh on tour uh unfortunately and unfortunately again fish did not get on with um jonathan mover uh and he said that and i quote again as i misquoted before is a bit too east coast vibe is what fish said okay um and it it came to a point of it's either me or him because he really clashed with him in a big way which is interesting isn't it because i mean you know any tight group of of people um any tight group knit of people one small you know irritation like what's that saying um the annoyance of small the madness of small annoyances um and who knows what would annoy fish i mean he has got this huge ego he's an incredibly gifted songwriter a brilliant vocalist a great showman one of the last real great showmen i really think um and so you know obviously we don't know the ins and outs exactly uh but we sort of know that it would have been something to do with probably because it's probably because he was american maybe i don't know i don't know you know um as i said i got my notes mixed up <laughs> doodle and i'm not going to restart it because i've had a, I've, I'm, would be a nightmare trying to edit that one out so as i said it went john martyr from mr big he just talked himself out of the band because he made out that fish was bigger than jesus um and then unfortunately um in comes uh john mover and he's just a bit too west coast or east coast sorry you know um you know and uh and off he goes so now they suck again right so it's now that's what that's f- drummer number four mick pointer andy ward john martyr jonathan mover um so that's drum four gone right so by now you'd be like oh well we're never gonna get this bloody i'm sure emi who they were on the label that one we're gonna like, what's happening we've got to get this album out heat behind the band you know script for just as tears only just fading away into the background we've got to keep me moving this isn't the kind of music that will just get teeny poppers we have to keep the heat in um so um along comes their savior ian mosley now ian mosley uh, was a session drummer 
a session drummer that had played with, you know, um, Curved Air, another big prog band, man. Try them, check them out, amazing band. And Stephen Hackett, of course, you know, friend of the show, <laughs> um, an amazing guitarist, um, uh, and, uh, you know, and Genesis legend. If he comes with a seal of approval from Stephen Hackett, you know, you know you're all right. Now, Ian um, was approached um, by the band to come and do some, the band's management actually, to come and just do some, uh, like, just to do some session stuff to get the album finished, basically. And and Ian at the time was never, wasn't looking for a band, wasn't looking to, to join the band. He was six to seven years older than all the rest of the band. Um, and he was, you know, he told him he was 29 when he was 30 because he thought if you tell a young group of 20-somethings that you're 30, you sound old. So he was sort of lying about his age a bit. Um, but as soon as he came in, um, there was an absolute gel. Now, he did clash with Fish a few times. He's done that. He's said that in his autobiography. He's clashed a few times with him. But again, that's not... We all clash with our friends and, and, and colleagues. It's quite normal. Um, yeah, he just jumped straight in, didn't he? He just felt straight in all of a sudden he brought a technicality it was, it was like um how do i say it it, it was like when well, you listen to the difference between what jonathan mover did so i've listened to some live stuff with him and john martyr and mick pointer and andy ward and you listen to what ian does and ian's got this huge neil pert kind of sound like he big kit he's always said he has a very big kit which he did and he's very technically he could use technically all of it and he's a um, a minimalist when it comes to his drumming so he's not um filling every breath with um a beat uh, and and, a, and a, he hits the skins in such a heavy way that's a resonant on a resonant sound um they just all got on um and that's it really to He's never really, um, they've never really looked back. And why would you with a, a, jump, a drummer as wonderful as Ian? Um, you know, um, the, Ian's got his own biography out as well, which I highly recommend you uh, you listening to. Um, but that's it. That's a tale of crazy four drummers, right? So what do you have? You have a sack drummer that was okay that formed the band. You've got um, a, a prog icon that, was clearly the at the end of his um, uh, at, the, at the end of his uh, professional career, really, with uh, and and drowning in a, a morass of alcohol and drugs. You have uh, you know John Martyr that's basically couldn't keep his mouth shut. Technically okay, nothing spectacular. I'm not a fan of Mr. Big. And then Jonathan Mover, um, he comes along from over from America. Um, you know, they all think he's okay, and then he starts to be a bit too East Coasty swing sound, a little bit too lightweight for for the band, and and it pissed Fish off. So, um, you know, at that time, what were you going to do? Lose your drummer, lose your front man that's the key to the band, really, at that particular point, or move on a drummer that you've already the fourth chance. Now, as I said before at the beginning, EMI had funded this album and wanted it out on a certain date, so was getting a little bit crazy um, with the recording of the music. So we'll talk about the music in the second half. So I'm going to go warm up my cup of tea because um, it's got cold again. 
uh, yeah crazy drummers man crazy crazy drummers uh but right now they're the same lineup apart from fish leaving back in 1989 1990 um as they were so it's it's it, it obviously works anyway we'll talk to the other side guys bye for now millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back, guys, to part two of Heavy Tones. Uh, this, of course, is the bit of a look at the album Fugazi. We've already talked about the craziness of the drummers. I even got it wrong, didn't I? I even got my notes all mixed up. There's too many bloody drummers to remember in what order they're in. Anyway, we have Fugazi. This is the 2021 remix, as I mentioned. Um, it is a superior remix in the respect that this is how the sound of the band wanted it to sound like. Um, so if you can think about this, say all the trouble they were going through with drummers and all the trouble with traveling back and forth, it was this in fact was recorded um, as an album in four studios and across Europe and um, interestingly where well, I've written it down here. Um, where was it? 
-hmm. Yes, Manor Studios, uh, Psalm East, Ill Pie Studios, Mason, uh, 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 Mansion Studios. Um, it was so quite a few of them. Um, produced by Nick Tauber and uh, mixed and recorded by Simon Hanhart. A running time of 45 minutes and 56 seconds. Nice, decent length. Um, it It's going to be... Uh, disjointed isn't it it doesn't matter how well you get Ian in to record the album once you've got him settled down all of the um, moving around and being in Germany been in the US moving just trying to get settled down to record uh, sort of hampered the final mix I think it also um, it, it did suffer from that 80s mix sound um, you know that sort of that thin, uh, sort of, almost like recorded in another room with the door shut. Um, it doesn't have the robustness, the stereo, the stereophonic, stereophonics. That's a Welsh band, isn't it? it doesn't have the stereophonic sound um, that you get, uh, the meatiness that you should have in, a, in an album with the sort of um, lyrical content and musical content that this band was putting out. But that aside, as I said, the new version, the new remix, fixes that 98%, in my opinion. Not 100%, because it can't do. But 98%, I reckon, it's there, right? Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Move my mic around, sorry. And say that this album, the second million album, for, okay, before we get into it, it's quite a, um, a lyrically... Um, diverse album it's very overblown lyrically fish did seem to want to fill every void of silence every piece of music with a word um very much the same way that his hero gabriel did it in on um i think sometimes on the lamb and very much so on uh on selling england by the pound uh god strike me down i don't i'm being rude about the album i'm just saying that it it, it uh it quite me quite lyrically um, dense when there's spaces needed to be for breathing and for music but anyway Fish has admitted to that and that's that's fine we we want from that it's also the, the this I mean we, Ian mostly is coming right so you think that this would be highlighting this would be Ian's like time to shine right as an album I really don't think that's the case this on this remix really opened my eyes and on really sitting down and thinking about it, which is something that I don't do that often because I just know the album so well that I just listen to it and enjoy it. Um, this is actually a, this is actually Mark Kelly's album. This is one. This is brilliant. This is Stephen Stephen Rovery's the guitarist. Stephen Rovery's um, step back a bit. I mean, it's an amazing guitar solos and some amazing pieces of guitar work, but. It, if you actually analyze this album, it is so heavily synth mixed, so heavily keyboard driven, and that it's it really is, in my opinion, a Mark Kelly album. It's like it's like Marillion with excess Mark Kelly. Um, and not just that, but since the mixing, I mean I for years um I used to think, what does Peter Juarez do as a bass player? I can't really um oh gosh, you know, I can't really hear any anything more than just sitting on the root note one octave down bingo bango but since they remixed these albums coming out 
Um, I mean, again, this is only the early albums, by the way. So the Marillion fans out there are shouting and waving your fists at me and going, no, 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 but Fade of Sunlight. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about his early stuff. Uh, he is really fluid. He is, because he was the actual most music, musical, most musically experienced member of the band until Ian arrived. Because um, he used to be in the Meteors, which is a punk band in, in Aylesbury. Also, he was also in a he was in a prog band as well, um, but the he's so fluid, he's so um, and you'll hear it coming into later on into a track we'll talk about later on. But it's something really prominent. But this is really a Mark Kelly, a real Mark Kelly album. Wait one second, we're just going to link it in the notes. One second. Ooh. This is the show. This is the album notes. But so Mark Kelly on this album used. Let's have a look to see what he was using. Um, um, Bossendorf Grand Piano, a PPG Wave 2.2, a Roland Juniper, uh, Jupiter S, or Jupiter 8, sorry, a Mini Moog, an emulator, a Yamaha DX7, a Yamaha G91, a Korg CX3, and a church organ recording at Angel Studios in London. Um, and of course, Peter Tavares uses his famous Trace Elliott and PV. Um, and Aria and Fender basses, but that shows you why I think this album is so synth heavy, and it's beautifully synth heavy. Um, you know, we open with um, the total tra- the first track on the album, which is Assassin. Now, I'm gonna be frank. I think that is one of the worst titles of a song. I can't bear it. I absolutely love the song itself and for years I called it I just called it Assassin right Assassin but for some reason um, Fish wanted to, as he does because he loves playing with words called it Assassin play on words right Assassin singing yeah it's basically about the firing of Mick Pointer because he was closest to Mick and he was the one that was sort of told to go and do it and it's uh, lyrically, it's about that. It's sort of they mix this sort of med- this sort of Middle Eastern. Um, if you know the song, the 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 mind bomb, the the um, they do uh, a bit of that kind of thing as well. It's very similar. It's got like Arabic, and then it's sort of like you hear like it's like tom toms, hand toms, you know, um, being sort of. It's, you can hear Ian rolling through the toms, which he does. A lot on the next album, Misplaced Childhood, particularly through the um, windswept thumb. You hear that. It's it's very atmospheric. It's very um, hippie in some respect, and so very proggy. Um, and then it hits into the, in my humble opinion, one of Stephen Robbery's best guitar solos. Uh, on this, uh, of all of the early Marillion stuff. Uh, and that's a hard thing to say because his solos are just fantastic. They just nail it every time. But this particular one is one of my favourites. And I've made a note. Now, for you dear listeners in podcast land who know how I feel about Pink Floyd, um, I have made a note here that I think um, that this particular song, this particular guitar solo, Actually, is really Dave Gilmore. It's very Dave Gilmore. It has that um, angular uh, emptiness, that stabbing um, 
um, sort of I don't know what the right word is. It's not blues, but it's sort of it's sort of very. I mean, the one thing that um, that Pink Floyd do very well, and you know, I don't feel they're a prog band, but the one thing they do very well is that the guitar the guitar parts are very proggy because they're so unlike anything really anything else. Um, although you know you can hear Peter Green in it, can't you? And 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 all that, but we won't go that, down that route. But I think it's very very much early. Um, early Floydy, it just has that Floydy feel, um, and the keys, Mark Kelly's keys, just you know, um, in the chorus and just behind the chorus and that stabbing organ sound. I, I'm not a key person enough to know what each organ or which each keyboard was used for each different sound, but it certainly has this sort of 80s um, uh, proto-electric um, sort of. Uh, sway uh, and it's just it's just beautifully um, I really the the album starts here and Fisher said this he struggled with this album touring it live and doing it later in life because it's all in a very high register it's all very falsetto and so the music's played in that in that area like all the guitar and the keys it's all played up there and so when Fish he struggles these um you can hear in some of the live albums um, struggling to keep up with that. They've had to actually tune it down a bit later in his life, career before he retired, so he could play it better. He could still play it, um, which is nothing. I mean, uh, Ian uh, Ian Anderson does that from Toll. A lot of people do it. Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden does it, has done it, and it does it successfully. Um, it's as I said, it's got atmospheric toms. Um, it's very cinematic. I think it's very cinematic. Um, I'm sorry, my notes here. Whoop, whoop, bash the wrong. Sparkly, I've put, has a sparkly finish to it. I don't know what, what that meant when I was writing that, but I wrote sparkly finish. And I've got Pedro Voris bass on this mix, is um, really, it's more than just steady. Um, it, it's it's pretty, um, pretty attacking, actually. Um, and then you, I love it. I'm going to just leave you with the end lyric from it, okay? And what do you call assassins who accuse assassins anyway? And he goes, my friend. Dum, dum. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And then straight after, these are the first two singles, the only two singles off the album, Assassin and Punch and Judy, are back-to-back on the album. When you first buy it and you put it on, the first two tracks you get are the singles. Sometimes that's a bit of a con, in it? Because you, you probably want the singles later in the album so you can sort of wait to get to them. Anyway, we jump straight in to Punch and Judy. Now, Punch and Judy, okay. So a lot of people have accused Deerfish, um, my, one of my heroes, um, of being a bit too um, school ground, um, l- lyric, you know, rhyme every second line, lyric kind of lyric, and, um, and full of sort of... Um, now I have heard the word misogyny chucked at Fish, and I I don't really feel that's the right thing. He does write from a male's perspective, but why wouldn't he? He's a male, and so for there, that's his perspective. Now, yes, a little bit of it is um, pubescent kind of boyhood um, worries and and stuff like that. But you know, he lived through that. That's what he lived through. That's what he was. That's what happened and so you know 
this song um, is a really interesting single. He he did it again later on with Family Business and his solo album, first solo album. Um, it's about spousal abuse, basically, but it's not it's not as heavy as you would think it is. Um, it's sort of from the point of view where the male is the one that's being sort of uh, abused I think I, I, mean, I could be wrong man I could be wrong um, again really crunching um, uplifting guitar from um, Steve uh, brilliant stabbing angular cold and angry keyboards um, Ian's very solid you know thumping almost lifeless drums are perfect in this particular track right you know um we've got lyrics in it like um there i get one of my favorite ones i think it's like uh um let me let me get let me get the lyric sheet and i'm gonna tell you what wait, wait a second so you know great lyrics like this okay okay who, who left the cap off the toothpaste tube who forgot to flush the loo don't walk across my polished floor leave your sweaty socks outside the door Whatever happened to the morning smiles, wicked wiles, permissive styles, twinkling eyes, hard, fast drives, compliments on on a natural size. You know, that sort of lovely wink at, uh, you know, just uh, passion out of of the relationship and the moaning about the small annoyances as we talked about before. Uh, Washing machine, pinstripe dreams stripped to the gloss from a beauty, stripped the gloss from a beauty queen. Uh, Found our nest in the Delhi Express met the vicar in a holy vest you know I mean it, yes it is quite straightforward rhyming but my god it's a fantastic single and a really daring for a single I think I think it was most upbeat on the album really there was not many singles you could have pulled from this album now uh, interestingly this album sold a lot just fewer than um, what uh, Script Registers Tear did and, and there's a quote here it says um uh, the album would definitely ultimately sell fewer records to its predecessor, while, which was while still an admirable achievement, didn't match the expectations of BMI Records. The album would ultimately be slightly fewer. Re- oh, sorry, it was a difficult one because Fugazi was exactly what the hardcore fans wanted, but it wasn't what the label felt they needed to take the band to the next level. EMI uh, had hoped to sell at least 50 cent above that. They were looking to try to sell around 400,000 copies to make it worth their while carrying on. It didn't exactly. It did exactly the same. So for the amount of money that they had invested, it would fell short. Um, it said it cost seventy thousand pounds to make script, one hundred twenty thousand pounds to make uh, Fugazi. And I think that's also to do with issues with drummers and whatever we talked about. So we, we've we've got this amazing single. Um, you know, it's got a brilliant cover by Mark Kelly. In fact, we haven't talked. Sorry about Mark Kelly. Um. um we haven't talked. We haven't talked about the cover yet, uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Actually, we'll talk about that in a, uh, in the Mark Wilkinson cover in a minute. But the single for um, uh, the single for Punch and Judy is just a classic. What you'd imagine it to be. It's um, it's got a picture of Punch sitting, you know, on the edge of his stage in his tent um, with a boxing glove and and Judy. Um, you know, it, it is quite a horrible, aggressive. Um, he's punching the image of Judy 
and it's the and it's the it's the it's the jester that's the punch. So it's quite aggressive. It's quite. You, see, you can see why people would get upset with that now, um, but I don't really see it myself. I mean, he was going through a lot of shit, right? And then next off the bat, next off the bat, right? Rolling straight off of, of after Punch and Judy is Jigsaw. Now Jigsaw starts exactly where everything else left off in this album. It is key heavy. It's got a lovely, oh, I don't think the word twee is the wrong word, a very far away romantic keyboard intro. Um, uh, and I don't know whether that's the right thing to say. It has a sort of wistfulness, this sort of um, distance to it, you know. Uh, again, also, uh, it is one of the longer songs on... The, well, they're all around about eight minutes long, but it's got this sort of um, really, really um, stabbing middle eight to it. Uh, the lyric, I mean, again, it's all about, I mean, again, it's this, it's as with fish, it's all about relationships breaking up. This is what Jigsaw is about as well. I'll give you the opening stanza of lyric. We are jigsaw pieces aligned on the perimeter edge, interlocked through a missing piece. We are Renaissance children become beneath the bridge of size, forever throwing firebrands at the stonework. We are Siamese children related by the heart. Bleeding from the surgery of initial confrontation, holding the world scalpels on trembling lips. The word scalpels on trembling lips. So it's, again, you can see that he's just trying to say he's having a real tough relationship. Um, but it's a lovely imagery, isn't it? Jigsaw. Like, so it's about, you know, that ultimate happy life, but there's a bit missing. But we're not the bits in the middle. We're on the edge, looking into the bits that are missing, right? And the bits are filling up and it's not what we want and we can't find that bit that's not going to keep us happy, right? Um, it's got this, there's a really nice bit in the last chorus where it goes, um, trigger, happy, 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 Russian roulette on the waiting room. And it's just like, it, it does have that sort of thing that we did in the late 80s, that sort of love lawn feel. But again, one of my favourite tracks on the... Um, on the on the album and key heavy um very key heavy steve does some beautiful work but it stays in the background a lot on that one sort of hangs back like he does with punch and judy um and then we go into emerald lies now emerald lies is one of those songs that it is hard to describe easily to enjoy wonderful to listen to brilliant to break apart but completely bonkers batshit crazy um, I again, it's a it's a roll-on effect um, of this sort of love lawn thing that was going on. Um, Ian Mosley's drumming on Emerald Lies is just crazy good. Uh, I'll give you another little bit from this one. Um, to don the robes of Tokamada. Okay, they, they know who Tokamada is. He was the head of the Spanish Inquisition, as Mel Brooks once said. Tokamada, you can't ask him to, to be lenient Tokamada you can't ask him to save your life let's be honest you can't Tokamada anything <laughs> anyway um, that was misquoted badly but you get the idea where was I where was I was okay 
um, yeah, to, Rome's, to don the robes of Tokamada, request, uh, resurrect the Inquisition in that tortured, subtle manner, inflict questions within questions, looking in shades of green through shades of blue. I trust in you, trust in me as I trust in you. Very odd, I know. I mean, what was he on? I mean, I mean, truly wonderful. Um, he must have been a lot of pain, but a, a sort of lyrically though it does mesh beautifully with the music and there was a point sometimes and i've listened to this album you know i can't tell you i can't count how many times i listened to this album um but almost to the point where the lyric just dissolves and i don't know what he's talking about and i never have done and it just punctuates the music and so it becomes another instrument right to be the prince of possession in the gallery of contempt suffering your indiscreet discretions as, as as you ask me to relent and this is where he gets very falsetto in this he gets very high um almost a little bit too high i think uh it would have been wise to record this in a different register but a different key but you know anyway that's emerald lies and it goes on it does drag on a little bit emerald lies it does it's that um it's the sort of is it end of side one? Oh, come in one second one second live checking look, look at the list of this Yes, end of side one. It sort of ends it ends the side pretty well. Um, it it it. Sorry, I'm knocking the mic a bit more this week. Uh, it it sort of yeah. I love it because I I love this album and it it could be one of those songs that might put you off once you're listening to it. Don't make me put you off because I think it's a cracker of a song. But there might be some of you out there go, I don't know what he's talking about. But then hands up with us who can honestly say every song they ever listen to they know exactly what the lyricist is talking about the only one you can absolutely definitely say you know what it's about is the guy that let the dogs out who didn't know who let, who let the dogs out that's probably the only one you can say well I know or I, I want to hold your hand but even then that could be ambiguous couldn't it you know so we turn it over and we get She Chameleon another lovelorn relationship song uh, this is the re the relationship album, people. Uh, again, She Chameleon. What can I say about She Chameleon? Opens with some beautiful church organ music. Uh, obviously, Mark is using a church organ. Now, there was a funny story about this particular um, piece of music uh, that apparently when Mark was playing it, they're all in the church playing this play, this piece of music, this recording studio, it's an old church, and he saw someone um, walk around a corner, uh, or he saw a hand or something like that on his piano, something spiritual, something uh, non-worldly. Uh, only he saw it, though, while they were recording, and it just disappeared. So, you know, I don't know whether that adds to the eeriness of the song, because it does have a very... Um, it's it, the thing about Fugazi as an album. It's timeless in the effect that it's not. It's the most unprog but prog proggy prog thing I've ever heard. It has heavy um, political undertones. It's got crazy virtuosic music, but it's also got these strange moments like this. Which, to be honest, this track could have come off of an ELP album quite easily or a Vandercraft generator. I mean. Uh, a lot of times, Fish has been accused of stealing Mark Hamill um, lyrics, uh, and the singer of 
of Vandegraaff Generator, by the way, not um, not Luke Skywalker. Um, and you know, he um, he's sort of not admitted to it, but he sort of has in some respects. And sort of you can hear it, but you know, what's wrong with a nod back to influence? Yeah. He's not stealing it because he can't think of a word. He's he's just the imagery in his mind is so set that way that when he goes to write the the, the paint the picture with his words, um, the palette is what he was always used to, and that happens to be, you know, Hamill, for instance. You know. Now let's have a look at this. Have a look at this one. Okay, um, sheltering her ego on the edge of the floodlit ark, she'll contemplate seduction. She'll calculate the catch. When she moved, her presence speared me. When she spoke, her words snared me. Watch the lizard, watch the lizard, watch the lizard with the crimson veil. So, um, it's obviously about a woman, a lady friend, you know, a woman that has caught his heart, um, that has ensnared him. Um, probably somebody he shouldn't do, maybe a married woman, who knows? Um, and it's just a bit dangerous, right? She, she's not starting to be trusted I get that feeling in this um, you know I see a different doorway shut a million times before smiling she chameleon smiling vinyl whores um, yeah I think I'm not going to go much more into that I don't know where else I can really take in that direction and what else I can do it is um, a long piece of music it is because on the second side of this album there is only um, three tracks. Well, there's only three. Uh, where's four on the first side? Okay. These are longer pieces of music. Uh, See, Chameleon can be much like Emerald Lies. Also, like off the first Moulin album, um, Chelsea Monday. That's quite diverse for some people. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of of music about a girl that's run away, wants to get away, doesn't want to be met, and um, they did it again years later with. Hogarth when they did um, Brave uh, it, it, you know it, these are strong strong images uh, and it is musically beautiful again great keys key driven key driven but there was a the bass part in it the bass part in it from Travaris is sumptuous and in this new version really shines in the mix um, and then we move on to Incubus now an Incubus uh, people is um I believe there are succubuses and incubuses, isn't there? Now, let me quickly what that are. Well, basically, it's male and female. Incubus is a demon from folklore that seeks to have sex with you without your consent while you're asleep, and a succubus is a female version. So, I believe. Now, I could be wrong. If I am wrong, fine. But that's what I believe it is. Now, what does that say? Straight away, it says that, again, this is all about... Um, quite violent sexual acts I mean same way that the violence was very underpinned and very quietly forgotten in songs like Assassin and Punch and Judy Incubus has that also and this is a very long piece of music it's a beautiful middle eight it's a beautiful section in the middle that will just take you on a on a journey come on with me to a journey it goes on a lovely long journey now lyrically here uh, when floodlight, when f it starts, really punchy, right? Uh, really strong, really heavy. This, I mean, this is a, this is, I think, really at their heaviest uh, um, sounding. Um, uh, really quite aggressive, quite stark, 
um, almost proto-metal stuff. Um, when, floodlight, when floodlights dim in reverence to persist uh, to persistent passion, forewarned my audience leaves the stage. F- uh, floating ahead, perfume shift within the stammering silence. The face that launched a thousand frames betrayed a porcelain tear, a stained career. You played this scene before. You've played this scene before. I'm the note in your. I'm the moat in your eye. The moat in your eye. I'm a misplaced reaction. Um, now I think if you look at this lyric, this is more about what fish. How fish feels about being on stage and the adoration of fans and the the projection that being a famous sexy singer although i don't know if you ever call a six foot nine overweight scotsman a sexy singer um but you know he still has adoring female fans uh, and male fans let's go that way um maybe he's feeling that he's the he's the incubus maybe he's stealing your sexuality um from you by being on stage and by taking it without you really understanding like lusting after him in it's that same I say way I suppose that pornography is incubus and succubus is it not in you can think it that way um but now I'm the snake in the grass the ghost of film reels past I'm the producer of your nightmare and the performance has just begun yeah um then it does it breaks down to this really quiet sort of um brooding section at the end um your perimeter of courtiers jerk like celluloid puppets and he's sort of stabbing vocally in that part there um as you stutter paralyzed with rabbit's eyes searing the shadows flooding the wings to pluck the elusive to pluck the elusive salvation from the understudy's lips um yeah i i again i think that's what it is i think that's it's also about his fear that he could be um overshadowed taken away and not be the singer anymore uh that sounds like it could be. I mean, it's a it's a complex. He's a complex man. He writes complex lyrics. I, I mean, this is how I'm this is how I'm interpreting the lyric. But it could be completely different when you read it or listen to it. Um, you know, um, dark room unleashes imagination in pornographic images in which you will always be the star, untouchable, unapproachable, constant in the darkness, nursing an erection, a misplaced reaction, with no flower to replace before this gravestone. And the walls become enticingly newspaper thin, but that would be developing the negative view, and you have to be exposed in voyeuristic colour. The public act, let your model your shame on the mannequin catwalk, catwalk, let the cats walk. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a self-reflective thing. Anyway, very long piece of music, um, go with it, because what comes after is a modern masterpiece. Um and I don't want to say that lightly, the two albums have ended with two giant pieces of anti-war, um, anti-racism um, uh, rhetoric. Um, in On script you have Forgotten Sons, which is just wondrous. And then we end here on Fugazi. Now, Fugazi, I haven't mentioned this yet, but what it actually means is all fucked up. It's the um, the name for um, uh, what the the Vietnam soldiers used to use. Um, American colloquialism in the in the forces just mean all fucked up, all gone, all damaged, all destroyed. Um, and this really does sum this up. This is a long piece of music, people. Strap in. 
this is um this has this has ups it has downs it has um imagery it's got wonderful beautiful bass um almost bass solo parts by peter it's got um you know wispy drowning thick lyrically beautiful keyboards it's got this sort of um electronic heaviness that ian's bringing on the drums Stephen robbery's guitar is solo in the second part is just blow your balls off um you know and if you haven't got balls it blow your tits off whatever way it goes it's gonna blow some of you off um it is just well that sounds disgusting didn't it now in um <clears throat> in hindsight that wasn't a very good thing to say was it <laughs> oh god anyway it will destroy it will it will, it's just heavy man that's just that's what i'm trying to say anyway uh, so it is a song that is anti-war anti-racism um, it's basically about the, the a lot of it's about the Brixton riots that were going on and the issue with race that was happening in the uh, mid to early 80, early to mid 80s um, you know um, I'm going to give you a lyric that all, for me um, that always seems to gel in me right it really sticks to my soul um and is a, the thief of baghdad hides in islington now praying deportation for his sacred cow a legacy of romance from a twilight world the dowry of a relative mystery girl a vietnamese flower a dockland union the mistress of a release from a magazine site dies this mandolin contracts more than favors the feeding hands of Western promise hold her by the throat. Now, I didn't read that very well because I'm not a singer, right? And I'm reading it, you know, ad lib, so it was from this lyric sheet. But what it says to me is, um, it's it's trying to say that Britain is, well, that time was obviously is where he was living and writing his music, is culturally diverse and dangerous, like um, a Vietnamese flower, a Docklin Union. So you know, like, in, uh, is that is that illegal immigration? You know, um, uh, legacy of romance from a twilight world, the diary of a relative mystery girl. Again, is that you know, is that is that his girl? Is that someone gone missing? You know, like, um, there's so much you can read into that. Um, the son of a swastika of forty-five, parading a peroxide standard. Graffiti can uh, conjure disciple, disciples testaments of hatred. I'm going to read that again because I was read that shit. I really should have read that really shitty. The son of a swastika or 45 parading a peroxide standard. Graffiti conjure disciples testaments of hatred. Aerosol wands whisper where the searchlights trim the barbed wire hedges. This is bricks and chess. Black, white, black, white. Um, again, right. What does that say? The son of a swastika of, of, of 45. Now, so that, that is saying um, anti-Semitic um, music, right? That's, that's skinhead, so son of a swastika of 45, parading a peroxide standard. So, you know, these neo-Nazis, okay? He's talking about neo-Nazism. Graffiti's conjured d disciples of testaments of hatred. So basically writing anti anti-Jewish statements on walls um, on synagogues they were doing a lot back then you know uh, uh, 
son watches father scan obituary columns in search of absent school friends while his generation digests high fiber ignorance cowering behind curtains and the taped up painted windows decriminalized genocide provided door-to-door belsons oh god i mean just people listen to it honestly take my word for it don't take my word for it whatever um I'm not giving it the best justice. I'm not doing it the best of justice, am I right? But it's this, it, he's rapping in a 11 minute song. He's putting in, lyrically, um, he's putting in all the things that he finds horrible with the world. He did it later in his last, his very last solo album, Velschmerz, which is brilliant, which I've talked about, I believe. Um, you know, it's just a night for embankment folds a newspaper castle. A creature of habit begs a boatman's coin. He'll fade with old soldiers in the grease-stained roll call and the linger with the heartburn of a Good Friday's Last Supper. It's just again, there's the Irish issue, which he brought up in Forgotten Sons, quite dramatically, I might add. Um, and it's just got these wonderful bits where it just goes into this sort of. Uh, almost uh, windswept thumbish, as I said before, um, from Miss Bay's Childhood. He's got those how how. It's really atmospheric, and um, it's it. I've heard him play this live, and it makes the skin on the back of my neck go up. Um, it's it. I mean, yeah. Is it bloated lyrically? Yes. Does it have direction? Possibly not. Does it have sentiment and pride? Yes, it does. Does it have um, a, a, a blinded, drunken poetics, um, poet's view on life. Yes, it does. Um, but it's truly, truly apt for this time that we live in now. Truly apt. I don't think there's a a more apt song. Maybe Forgotten Sons, with with the Marillion early early stuff. Um, that's very apt now. Um, it's just just wonderful. Um, I'm earning too much, aren't I? Sorry, sorry. Just brilliant. So, and right at the end, right at the end, the ends the album. Now, originally the first print, it just cuts dead. And they never liked it. They wanted this song to fade out. Okay? And it fades out to the lyric, Where are the prophets? Where are the visionaries? Where are the poets? To search for the dawn of the sentimental mercenary. So where are the prophets, where are the visionaries, where are the poets to search the dawn of the sentimental mercenary? Just brilliant, you know, and then it ends. So, you know, not a long album, a complex lyric album, a beautifully recorded, much maligned. A lot of Marillion fans look at Fugazi as the album they don't really enjoy. Which i got to say is blinkered um because most marine fans will go jumping into your script and then you're misplaced and then you know onto um you know one of the greatest concept albums of the 20th century which is uh clutching at straws you know they're going to do that they're going to go those ways um because maybe it's when they bought the album maybe it's when they connected to the band a lot of the time i think it's because it is a very hard album to penetrate lyrically um it can be very um proggy because of the keyboard where the keyboards are driven and the guitar solos are very as I said very sort of almost homage to um 
to Floyd. Um, the Hackett sort of appears in there slightly in the mix, but it's mainly more, I think, a, a Gilmore sound. Uh, and so maybe the fans just go, well, it, it's not misplaced childhood. It's not, it's not, um, you know, script for just a tear. It's that complicated second album. And I also think maybe they get put off because the sound itself in the original mix is a bit thin and a bit dated. Very much like Iron Maiden's um, first album. They always say that that doesn't, like Steve Harris hates the way that's mixed. But they were doing their first, they didn't know it was their first album, right? And I think, you know, the way that the, EMI was forcing the hand of the band to get this second album out and the way that they were PR and A&R people were pushing and um, you know Fish wrote a lot of lyrics um, sort of on the spot like he did for Misplaced Childhood um, I mean most of Misplaced Childhood lyric was recorded in the studio as they went um, you can't tell that but it is um, and so I urge you, I really do, to to take a listen to this classic album. I've butchered some of the lyrics, and I've probably read um, into it differently, but just this to me really is Mark Kelly's album. If you love keyboards, and I know people of my friends out there do, um, John, my good friend John, um, uh, he loves he loves his keys, um, and I think he will listen to this now in a different way because it really is predominantly. Um, synth heavy and you know and also Pedro Varas basses shines through on this remix on this new mix so you can get the mix on on iTunes and Spotify you can buy hard copies if you want it's quite hard to get the vinyl reissues now um, you can still get them I think on CD it was limited release on the reissue but as I said it's on streaming everywhere and the sound's still the same so uh, but I, what I would do first is listen to the original and then listen to the new one um, and just you'll hear the difference and you'll feel the difference and you'll feel that suddenly you've gone you've opened the door and the music's playing louder because you can now hear it from the kitchen because you haven't shut the door in between you, the, the kitchen and you where the stereo is as I said so it feels like sometimes with this album it feels like they've chucked a, um, a blanket over the speaker almost um, particularly Ian's drums it sounds like they've sort of muted him a little bit um, and they've sort of and they did a thing they did in the 80s where they deadened they deadened the snare and it feels like it just it deadens and it just dies and um i think that's probably also an issue you know there and then but anyway that's me for this week this i love this album as you can probably tell so i hope you enjoyed it i hope you do go and listen to it i hope it does give you some um insight to what i why i am who i am because this album is really important to me um, and do see what you think what it is what the lyrics mean to you have a little read of them see what it says to you when you listen to it but you have to listen to it a few times and then let me know come to my uh, Facebook page um, and private message, message us and sort of just let me know I will put the whole album up on Spotify to be listened to um, if I can I'm sure I'll work out how to do that so if you, if you don't want to go searching you can come to my page and you'll find it there anyway that's me for this week uh it's getting cold here in canberra but it's quite a nice day today i don't know why i've told you that a little bit of, a little bit of flourish <laughs> anyway anyway may's coming to an end can you believe it can you believe mad may is coming to an end we'll be in june soon 
Oh my god, halfway through the year. Some big gigs come up in June. Some really big gigs. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and some, and I've got an interview lined up. That interview I mentioned a few weeks ago is coming to fruition soon. That will be really good, a good one. Anyway, bye for now. I'm rambling. Ciao. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.